So let's do this. Let's get your Bible out. It's Matthew 15. I'm sorry, 14. Um, and we'll go through a story, and I want to talk about it just a little bit and give a few options on kind of what I think are, are possible kind of interpretations of what's going on. And then I want us to juxtapose this story with one in the Old Testament, okay? So we'll go from there. Um, but I'll start reading in verse 13. And this can be a familiar story. So what often happens to us is if we've heard the story before, and you may not have, and that's fine, but a lot of times familiarity can breed content. So let's try to look with fresh eyes, look at this again as if we haven't heard it before, um, and go from there. This is what it says. Now when Jesus heard this, what is the this? Real quick, too. This is important. When Jesus heard this, what is, what is it's kind of like the... Um, the cheesy thing I've said a bunch of times, uh, if you see a therefore, you have to go back and see what it's there for, because it, it, it matters. Therefore is like a transitional thing. So the this is what we talked about last week about John the Baptist being killed. Okay? So we have this situation where Jesus hears that his friend and relative has been killed for just kind of dinner party laughs, okay? and then we go from there. And this is what it says. When he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. We forget that Jesus needs this, I feel like. I feel like we act like he just kind of runs on whatever news comes to him. But no, Jesus goes in a boat, goes to a desolate place, needs some time alone. Um, but when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We only have five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Well, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up into heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave fish sandwiches to the crowds. It doesn't say fish sandwiches. Um, that's just what I would do with that. Um, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. It's like the crust. You know what I'm saying? It's like all the crust of the bread's left. It's gross. And so anyway, that's what they took over at the end. Um, and they that ate were about 5,000 men besides the women, and children. So we have this story, and a lot of times we teach this. If you grew up in a church at all, you probably heard this at VBS, and you made like a fish and a bread out of like corn kernels or something, or like out of popcorn, you pretended to break it. I don't know the game. We, we did it as a little kid, and it was cheesy, and I thought it ridiculous, to be honest. So, but we have the story <clears throat> um, that we usually teach as Jesus blesses it, and then there's this ambiguity on how this food gets multiplied, right? How does, I'm, I'm always caught listening to the story, and I asked a bunch of questions about it as a kid and got kicked out of Sunday school one week, this, this very story, because I was like, well, how did it, multi like, what, what, how did it happen? Was it like, zoot, and it, like, a bunch of things happened? Did people just, like, break a piece off and it grew a new fishtail, and they ate that one? Like, that was always such an interesting part of the story to me as a little kid, and that's ridiculous, but I still, this morning... That was my first thought, thinking about this again. I was like, mm, how though? How did they not notice? You know, that kind of thing. Um, but I, I've read some things lately that I find interesting about this story. 
Um, and I don't, I don't want to put a, this is the true part of the story or this is the not true part of the story. But I've been reading some like off the beaten path um, stories about this one passage. And they talk about these people that come to Jesus. And who are these people? These people are the desperate ones that follow him out, even though his cousin's just been killed. And they just bring all their sick, they bring all their troubles, they bring everything they've got, all of their baggage, and they're like, please, we know you want to be alone, please help us, right? And he's there all day, having compassion with him, healing their sick. The, the crowd gathers that's over 5,000 people, probably 10 plus thousand people, right? About. And then they're hungry, and it's about to be nighttime, and there's nothing around to get food. There's, there's nowhere to get any food. And they're about to just do another day, hungry, all these probably poor people, all these desperate people. And so we have these, these two opinions about this story. There's probably more, but these two. One is that Jesus does take this fish and bread, breaks it. Somehow the miracle happens in which it multiplies, either in the handing of it over or Jesus just starts being like, you get a fish sandwich, you get a fish sandwich, everyone gets a fish sandwich, however it works like that. Or another interpretation I've just found interesting lately that I, that I want us to just go with hearing is that this boy comes and offers it and offers to share. Right? That's all this kid has. Kid's hungry, right? Offers, hey, look, this is what we've got. And the disciples seeing that maybe say, you know what? Here's what we've got. And as it gets handed to people, some people start to take and some people start to give. And as it gets passed around and it gets shared, people start to sacrifice. And they say, you know what? No, someone else can have mine. Someone else can have ours. And it becomes this big sharing endeavor, right? And now that that a lot of times people will hear that side of this and be like, ah, no, because it was a miracle. And, and that, I feel, is very much still a miracle, especially if it happened today. We're so selfish, right? We're so ridiculously selfish. I doubt that would happen. Also, too, I don't know that my kids would give up their lunch, to be real honest here. That would be a miracle in its own right. Asheree giving up lunch for Tovin would be quite miraculous. But we have these options and I think both of them, though, even if you're like, no, I'm going with how I originally heard this story, and I'm going with Jesus making 12,000 meals, fine, that's totally okay with me, and I understand that, and I'm, I'm with you in that. But I think either story tells a lot about us, and it tells a lot about the disciples that are there, and it tells a lot about our condition currently, right? So you have these disciples, and they're confronted with a need. There is a need around them, right? They're in the midst of Jesus. Jesus is doing amazing things. Things are happening. They like it, right? And they're just trying to manage what's going on here. And then a need comes. Everyone's hungry. There's nothing around, right? And they quickly find themselves confronted with Jesus. And this is what I love. Jesus didn't just say, let me take care of this. What did Jesus tell them to do first? You feed them. Give them something, right? There is a need. Jesus is with his disciples, and he says, disciples, go meet need right now. And then what is their response? They are immediately confronted with something all of us are confronted with when we are asked to meet need, and that's their inadequacy right away. 
they can't. They, they don't know what to do. It's not even just that it seems implausible because to feed them other stories of this story, like other tellings of the story, they even say like, even a year's wages wouldn't feed all these people, right? I mean, you think about it, how much lunch you would have to provide for that many people. No one that I know has that money just around, right? Even if you pulled it all, you can't go do that. And they're immediately confronted with this and they say, Jesus, <laughs> we can't do blank. We can't meet need. That's what they say. We can't do this. That is where I find us so much of the time reading this story, is that we hear this. We hear, we see the need. We recognize it around us. We see that people around us need community. They need closeness. They need just lunch with you, and we can't provide it. We are spent. We're up to here with whatever it is. We can't sacrifice and give financially to this. We are in need ourselves. No, I have no more social stamina in my life. I can't give to whoever. No, I, I have no patience left to give to my kid, my, my anybody, right? We're confronted with need. and We know we can't meet it legitimately. And then the interesting part of the story is that Let's, let's go back a little bit. So, a lot of stories we read in Matthew so far, people come to Jesus, Jesus heals them, right? God's power is like this acting, given thing from Jesus' self, right? Here, the interesting part of the story is that like human goodness, which is sharing, right? No matter how you read the story, no matter how, how miraculous or what the miracle looks like, the idea is they're sharing, Right? Everyone is attempting to make sure everyone else gets. Whether it's just the little boy who gives the bread and fish, whether it's disciples trying to find someone and pull that bread and fish together, whether it's people handing it to the next person and letting them have some because there's 12 baskets left over at the end. Right? So the idea here, here is that the sharing meets God's power and does something beautiful. And that, I think, is also what's exciting because God doesn't, again, just act upon us in this story. There are times when God does. But there are plenty of times when God, I shouldn't say needs, when the kingdom of heaven searches for human goodness to act. Because where the human goodness and God's power meet, beautiful things happen there. But, there needs to be human action in this story. The boy just keeps his lunch and eats behind a tree. What happens in the story? People probably won't starve in one day, but we don't see this. A need isn't met. I also think it's interesting that this story, or in my head, is juxtaposed with another one. Does anyone, can someone real quick, give me kind of the breakdown of manna from heaven? Do we know anything about this story? We've probably heard the phrase, manna from heaven, but what's the, what's the story behind that? Coming from where? Yeah, and they're wandering for a long time in the midst of the wandering. Right, that's, that's when the story takes place. And what's the deal with the manna? Kind of. That's... That's fair, it probably did. I don't know. Anybody else help? 
That's good. You can keep going too if you want, but. It only lasts for a day. What is it? It's like what? <laughs> Sorry, I laughed so loud in the microphone. It's like gruel, the gruel, the Jewish gruel. Okay. They're what? Right. Because at least there, we had food, right? We weren't, you brought us out here to starve in the desert, right? So he gives them gruel. When does the gruel appear? Hmm? Overnight. They wake up to the gruel. Maybe it fell. Maybe it grew. Maybe it was like a mushroom gruel. Who knows? Who knows? But the story goes as that. And then Lily said something. Did y'all hear what she was saying about how long it lasts? It lasts one day except for what day? Day before the Sabbath, it lasts two days, right? What happens? What happens when they try to keep some? It spoils quickly, right? It's like it has a really quick shelf life, this gruel, this <laughs> bread gruel. I'm going to stop calling it that. Someone's going to be frustrated and be like, shouldn't demean the gruel. But, but the idea is that God provides what they need that day, right? It's like, give us this day our daily bread. That's like a direct thought back to, to manna. That's what that is. It's let me be reliant on you for my day to day, right? Help me not to be so concerned and faithless that I have to plan ahead or I'm lost, right? <laughs> Which sounds pretty silly to us. Just tells us a lot about us and about who we are and what our faith, how our faith drives us. But if we had to be reliant on food just that came that day, not by your own means, what would that do to your angst? What would that do to you? Some of you high, like, proficient planners, how would that work to not be able to plan how to provide food for your kid? What would it do to you? To have to say, I hope tomorrow God does it again, because if not, we're going to be hungry. That's a different kind of desperation. It's a different kind of need, right? And then you can't even stock it up. You can't even stock it just in case God gets mad at your neighbor and is like, no more manna. You can't even do that. You're just reliant as a community on food, right? And that's it. It lasts one day. It's day to day to day to day. And in this story, though, What's interesting is it's got a lot of parallels, right? It's a lot of parallels. Where does the food come from? Human goodness, right? Human goodness in action and God's power, right? So we have God's power playing a unique role in this, right? Whether they share it or whether it all gets broken up into a million sandwiches. It's, you've got this parallel here with this story. Were they able to get it on their own? No, they couldn't. The disciples made that known. We can't provide this for them. The need will not be met unless you act. Very similar, again, to this manna story. A unique difference, though, that, that we, we hear people write about and talk about, and it, I think sometimes we focus on it too much, sometimes we focus on it too little, is that here, though, in this story, there's leftovers, is that when God provides for his children in, in, as they're wandering, and as he's providing in the midst of their disfaith and their 
distrust and their ugliness and their selfishness. God provides day to day, right? Gives them what they need. Jesus, as this new giver of bread, in John he'll say that he's the bread. The the provision is abundance, though. It's more. When and, and I find that so interesting that when like the humanity, the goodness in humanity and God's power meet each other, there's more than enough to go around. There's more than enough hope between all of us when I don't have any. I need it from Jacob. And God uses Jacob's hope with me that I have more than enough. When when financial insecurity is about us, there is enough for abundance when we all play into that with each other. We can be abundance with each other. Our goodness and God's provision together create abundance. When when we see need in our community, it's not, again, just us 20 people. It's the goodness of us teeming with the goodness of other us's and other we's that create abundance in our community. It's, it's so interesting. At, um, I know there's not an abundance of affordable housing right now, but go with me on the analogy. At Habitat this Saturday, we have um, Habitat for Humanity. You have a bunch of volunteers come out to do a thing, Right? And none of them could do that thing, <laughs> also. Like you ask a random person to hang a window and make it not leak, and it's a tough game, right? There's not many of us in the room probably would just do that right away and be like, oh, I nailed it, right? You shouldn't nail it, first of all, at all. You should screw it. So, screwed it. No, don't do that either. But, but, uh, but a group of people doing that together definitely do more than professional builders do when they're there. And it's a beautiful thing that we can become numb to. I have to talk to our team all the time to not become numb to that. Because we can be annoyed with volunteers or put off by them or it's hard work or it's hot or whatever and forget the fact that we just let human goodness meet together and do something really, really powerful and really good, that changes the course of someone's life. The reason I say that is not to say that Habitat's amazing, but to say that, yes, we can become numb to the fact that our goodness and God's power do something strange and unique and beautiful together. And we need each other to do that. Because without that, the abundance just doesn't happen in our lives without community. And so just know that as we're going forward through the week, just as we think about a, a weird story like Jesus feeding everyone dinner, that Jesus wasn't the only one that fed them all dinner. And it started with something else. So I just want us to know that and think about that. And as we have communion together, let it be a, a picture of that fact, okay? So let's pray together. God, you're good. And we know also, though, that you like us to do acts of good as well. And yes, there's times when you step in fully 
and you heal, or you change us, or you transform one of us. But then there's also, also times when you transform us through our neighbor sharing with us. You transform us with an encouraging word from someone else. You transform us with someone not leaving us alone, and not letting us be an island, but jumping into our life and being a part of it. God, you transform us with the people around me. With our hands, with our feet, with our voices. So God, thank you for doing that. And thank you for being, through Jesus, enough and some for all of us. That your hope is enough and more for all of us. That your goodness is enough and more for every one of us. Um, God, we say this like confessing it, asking it, hoping it, in Jesus' name. Amen.